0: Adversaries are relentless, and they're only getting smarter, faster, and more sophisticated. Knowing their game is the only way to beat them. That's why we're here. Learn what it takes to protect against even the most sophisticated attacks. Welcome to the Adversary Universe podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the inaugural Adversary Universe podcast here at CrowdStrike I'm your host, Christian Rodriguez. I'm the field CTO of the Americas and joining me today and for the foreseeable future is Mr. Adam <laughs> Myers himself, our head of intelligence. Did I mess up your name?
1: You got my name right,
0: uh, but I, uh, you right, know, I just like to say
1: head of intel. I don't, uh, I don't get into all the fancy title stuff.
0: Oh, okay. I like the fancy title. It makes me feel pretty good about myself.
1: You should feel good about yourself.
0: I always feel good about myself. Thank you so much, Adam. So pretty exciting because this is actually an idea that the both of us have had for some time. Having a platform where we can talk about some really exciting things here at CrowdStrike that our customers, our clients and our partners and our employees and naturally even those interested in getting into the industry you know, could get a little more visibility into some amazing things that we're doing on the Intel side with respect to tracking adversaries, how that integrates into our platform, really how that integrates into customers' security programs and their strategies. But more importantly, I think this gives us a great opportunity to level set and show the world kind of why intelligence became such a very big component of the CrowdStrike brand. And so for you listeners that are new to CrowdStrike today, we're going to spend a little more time talking about the history of CrowdStrike, the inception of even the term crowd in CrowdStrike, and then more importantly, how intelligence really helped kind of sculpt the path to where we are today. You know, the brand awareness, the adversaries that many of you have reached out to me asking more questions about, you know, when you hear terms like fancy bear or cozy bear. Or Mummy Spider, those are all very specific, you know, there's a specific reason to, with, with respect to how we actually created those naming conventions and the way that we track adversaries are very much core to the brand of CrowdStrike. So again, today I figured we'd spend a little time talking about the background, where CrowdStrike came from, how intelligence plays such a role. And I've been here for almost nine years. You've definitely been here longer than I have. Maybe you could spend a few minutes talking about that, right? Like, you know, where were we back then when you first came on board and and how did this even turn into, you know, you know, this, this branding sensation, if you will, that, that we've ultimately become over the past uh, 12 years.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was one of the original employees here at CrowdStrike. And I remember, you know, to your point about the name CrowdStrike, it was about the power of the crowd. And so when you think about how we manage our endpoints, everything we do is cloud-delivered, cloud-native. And the ability to kind of take all of the telemetry from all of the tens of millions of endpoints around the globe And to make all of those tools smarter through our machine learning models and all of the collaborative information, the intelligence that we're able to glean from the platform is the power of the crowd, right? And the strike part really gets back to the how do we disrupt that adversary? How do we make life harder for them? How do we make it an inhospitable environment in our customer environments? For these threat actors, and so when you combine the power of the analytics and all the data coming from the entire cloud, or I should say, the fleet of, of things that we monitor, and then use that to disrupt adversary, that's CrowdStrike. That's what we do.
0: You know, I'm glad you said that because I've had you know people reach out and say, hey, you know, especially when I first started here, and they said, hey, CrowdStrike, are you guys a hackback company? Mm. And of course, our response is like, no, absolutely not, right? And and really very similar to how you explain this, you know, the crowd in CrowdStrike represents the concept of crowdsourcing this very valuable telemetry on every endpoint that we're installed on, you know, whether it's physical system or virtual or a cloud workload, we get to funnel this tremendous amount of threat telemetry into this, you know, this cloud model and then apply the intelligence that we've seen from the adversary side. So talk a little bit about the Intel stuff.
1: Well, I'd say the strike you know, you know to to, to quote Sean Henry, sure. our chief security officer here, he said it's about raising the cost to the adversary. That's really mm, what that I strike like that. is about, and and I think that that's a a powerful message.
0: Yeah. So saying if we can disrupt the tradecraft of an adversary as much as possible, it's costing them cycles, it's costing them resources to kind of continue to try to find creative ways to get into, you know, their respective victims.
1: Make it expensive to operate. Absolutely. If we could disrupt. Their command and control, right? We don't have to hack back, but if we can take tools away from that threat actor and make them have to work harder and, and iterate faster, then we're doing our job.
0: I love that. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how the Intel stuff now plays into this. Cause again, when I first interviewed here nine years ago, it's, it's the first thing that caught my attention, right? We had George and we had Sean and, and yourself when I interviewed with you. You kind of explained some of the activity that your team was conducting with respect to tracking activity coming out of China. And as you were explaining a report that you had recently published, I felt like I was in this James Bond-esque <laughs> environment where tracking spies and understanding tradecraft and, you know, doing analysis of like geopolitical type of motivations. And it just completely blew my mind. And I thought, like, I have to work for this company because they were making such a big impact. So well, tell me a little bit about the inception of intelligence right, and and how that kind of set the stage for the rest of, of our Intel growth.
1: So the the first day of CrowdStrike for the eight of us that were here was, I believe, September 19th, 2011. And I took the first call for the entire company from a a parking lot in Fairfax, Virginia, outside (laughs) of Starbucks. And the entire purpose of that call launching the company was that I was briefing the people that became the senior leaders in the company on the threat. And that threat back then was, you know, we were focused very much on China. We were looking at at Russia. We were concerned about criminal entities. But to a lesser extent, the criminal landscape back then was vastly different, right? Botnets were really the core concern that a lot of organizations had, you know, and they were stealing account credentials, you know, bank accounts and, and credit cards. So, you know, for us, we were looking at what was going on in the world. And antivirus was really the, the preeminent technology for defending an endpoint back then. But the problem with antivirus was that they looked at the most common threats, right? For them, it's about, we need to stop the things that most of our customers are going to encounter. And what that meant was that things like the Chinese intrusion activity, which was economic espionage, was largely ignored, right? If you remember back to the Operation Aurora in 2010, yeah, do. Yeah. there was almost no coverage for those things back then because they weren't significant statistically for the broad set of endpoints that antivirus were protecting. And what we said at CrowdStrike was, if we could stop those threats, that is the thing that's going to destroy a business, right? If you have all of your intellectual property stolen and it gets brought to market by a foreign government sponsored state-owned enterprise and they're able to compete against you with your own technology, your own intellectual property, and put you out of business, That's the most significant threat to you, right? It's not this botnet, right? The botnet is something you should try to defend against, but you need to protect your business. You need to protect your base. And that was the fundamental difference in how CrowdStrike started to operate and what we were focused on and what we were looking to be able to identify. And as we started doing that, it was not a popular thing to say. Sure. I remember having to explain people are like, you shouldn't do that that's the government's <laughs> job. You shouldn't be doing attribution. You should be, yeah. you should be just blocking botnets. And I said, look, it's not about it's this guy in this country or or this gal in this country. It is understanding what this threat is, what they're after. There's a human behind this attack. And if you understand who those humans are, how they operate and what they're after, then you can defend your business. It's not about defending the endpoint or defending the enterprise system. Sure. You have to do that, but you need to defend your business or you're not going to have a job. Exactly. And it took a minute, but then, you know, by the time you were interviewing, I think we were well on our way to to explaining this to people and and people have come around to our way of thinking. And I'm glad because you can't go out there and there's so many analogies you could pull about, like defending your house against some unknown threat or whatever it is. I mean, if you don't understand who the threat actor is and what they're doing and how they operate, you're never going to be able to defend yourself.
0: Yeah, you should use this analogy. The concept of like walking into your house, And seeing like your back sliding door smashed in right and there's like you know this rock or this brick there and there's one of two things could happen right you can hire some detectives that come in and they say hey you know what there's a bunch of you know kids going around this community and they're just throwing these bricks at these glass doors and they're just kind of running this smash and grab campaign and you're just kind of a victim of you know this larger attack chain or right you can have a detective comes in and he you know he picks up this brick and he realizes that this brick is actually a brick that the Gambino family uses, right? And when they smash your window like this, right? This is actually kind of the first stage of a series of attacks that include, you know, some type of targeting and they have a very specific objective. And during this objective or this campaign against you, they're going to you know, they'll slash your tires and they may, you know, you'll find a, a horse head in your bed or something to that effect, right? And basically there's a very specific MO and objective that this group has. And that's the difference between just saying that, hey, there's just some attacker out there versus like there's a group that has a very specific objective with respect to who they're targeting and their intentions. And so that's the concept of intelligence. For folks that initially, when I first started here, and they didn't get the reason for why is it important that we understand who's behind an attack, I would have so many clients or prospective clients say, why should I care that China's running an attack on this specific vertical or industry? And it took a lot of explaining on the, the indirect impact, and then there's also direct impact. So, you know, I was thinking about Turbine Panda, and how Turbine Panda affected that one manufacturing company, the way that they built their turbine engines and they actually stole the intellectual property and ultimately kind of undercut this company by building a version of that same exact turbine for half the cost and they basically put them out of business and we're talking about thousands of people that lost their jobs and think about the economic impact that has and is a very interesting ripple effect that it has even though you may be working in an in- industry that doesn't manufacture turbine engines, right? There's going to be some type of indirect impact in some capacity and so, even breaking down that concept of this ecosystem of impact of, you know, you may have another industry being targeted, but you may not realize that you're a partner within some capacity or they're a partner with your mutual partner and they get impacted by the attack and it affects you. And so there is a very big reason why, you know, just overall awareness of these various trade crafts and these campaigns. And then again, understanding who is responsible for these attacks is so important to your business and to your, your program, because you shouldn't just ignore it because it doesn't directly impact you or there's a perception of a lack of impact. And so for me, again, it really attracted me to the company to say that, wow, we're really, Crystack is really focusing on understanding the impact that these adversaries have on these campaigns and their victims, but then also what that tradecraft looks like and how can we study that so that we can quickly identify it moving forward.
1: You know, what I've been saying to people recently is it's kind of like if there's a rash of car thefts in your neighborhood, what organizations have historically been doing is leaving their Ferrari in their driveway and putting bars on their windows. And it's like, if you don't, if you know that they're coming for the Ferrari car, record. Yeah. and me neither, but if you know that they're coming for your car, then put your car in the garage, right? Mm-hmm. Like put one of those bars or whatever across the steering wheel, or whatever they call it, the club, you know, you have to instrument yourself for the threat. And one of the things that that we used to do in the early days of CrowdStrike we had the most amazing slide deck right when we launched the company and it, it had OODA loops with OODA loops yeah. and those of you that don't know what an OODA loop is it's observe orient decide and act and in 10 seconds effectively there was this colonel back in the korean war era, colonel boyd who recognized that we weren't doing as well as we should be in aerial combat and he kind of came up with this concept of this OODA loop, which is if two planes are flying at each other, the pilot that goes through that loop first, the observing the other plane, orienting which direction is it going, deciding what to do about that, and then acting and, you know, ultimately deciding to shoot it down probably, that pilot was gonna live to fight another day. And we applied that OODA loop technology or concept to our technology. And that I think really holds true today. And it comes back to that observing, orienting, deciding, acting, and making sure you understand the threat, what that threat does, how they operate. And then you, you're able to make the right decision. And that will ultimately mean that you are going to not have to explain to the board why you got ransomware, yeah. why you got data extorted, why yeah. some company in China is selling the same product that you do with exactly your IP and source code.
0: Yeah, for half the cost, exactly. You know, it's interesting. I, I can, on the OODA loop concept, I would host these threat hunting workshops where OODA loop was really the foundation behind, you know, looking for adversary tradecraft in your environment, using a variety of tools. And so that's actually a pretty important topic, which I think we can probably spend the whole hour or whole podcast episode discussing. But I wanna go back to even the example of Turbine Panda, right? And so for those listening, maybe Adam, you could spend a few minutes even explaining the nomenclature right, and that system that we have For adversary that cryptonym system for the way that we name adversaries because i'm sure if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with crowdstrike and our adversary tradecraft naming convention i just referenced turbine panda and turbine panda is the name of an adversary that we use if you're familiar with other naming conventions you've probably heard of like the apt number system you know and there's i'm sure a whole variety out there but maybe we could spend a few minutes talking about what how we came up with that naming system and why it's so important to the way that we actually identify adversaries
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you have to remember back then there was kind of two Mandiant, our friends at Mandiant, and uh, they had this number system of ABT1 was what we call comment panda now. But, you know, that was, I think, deliberately meant to obfuscate what they were talking about and to take the attention away from who the threat actor was, because that could be difficult. A a lot of businesses were very heavily in China and didn't want to be in a position where they were having to call out China for stuff. Sure. We, we took a different approach. And also at that time, the other thing that a lot of organizations were doing, they had these operations. I mentioned Operation Aurora. Think of that as really a campaign. That's not the threat actor. That's a cluster of activity that, that was a campaign. And organizations still, you know, lots of vendors still do this today. They'll, they'll say Operation X or Y. We started looking at how we were gonna do this. We wanted to, one, call it out yeah. right we felt at that time at CrowdStrike that people weren't calling it out they weren't saying china and that was a problem right so we very uh, obtusely called it panda right and uh, it was pretty clear what that was and the first case that we ever worked back in december 2011 was a case that came to be called the threat actor came to be called deep panda and so from there we had a choice to make do we come up with a different name each time we find a new threat actor Or do we come up with a system that allows us to convey to our customer? If I say panda, you know I'm talking about a Chinese nation state threat actor. Mm. And so back then, it was pretty easy to just focus on the pandas. But very quickly, we found ourselves facing Iranian threat actors. And so people will say, why do you call Iran kitten? Well, back at the time, that was a very immature threat actor. And we wanted to use animals to represent the various nation states. And we thought, well, Iran, Persia, Persian cat. And, uh, but they are very immature. So what's an immature cat, but a kitten. kitten. And so that's where that name came from. And uh, North Korea, we track as chalima, which is, you know, if you don't know what a chalima is, I'll say this, right? Most countries in the world have a national animal and that animal is something that you could go to that country and see. North Korea chose a magical flying horse, which Mm. was just the kind of crazy we were hoping for. uh, (laughs) When we we came up with uh, that (laughs) chalima. And you know, then it became okay. So you have these categories for these different types of threats, and for e crime, financially motivated threat actors with no state affiliation, we call that Spider. Yeah. And for hacktivists, uh, we came up with Jackal, which was I think we were looking at some terrorist groups initially. We were looking at Hezbollah and stuff like that. And so mm. we thought Jackal, kind of like Carlos the Jackal, was like I think the the driver behind that, if I remember correctly. And then we came up with different names. And mm-hmm. one of the the most famous stories that I'm always asked to tell, which uh, you know, episode one will we'll get into it, but uh, is Fancy Bear. Yeah. Everybody probably remembers CrowdStrike gained international notoriety when we identified Russian threat actors inside of the DNC back in 2016. One of the threat actors was a group we had already called Fancy Bear. Why did we call it Fancy Bear? Well, their malware was called Sophacy, And so uh I had gone for a run in Washington, D.C. and put on my, my Spotify and I, I hit my power list or whatever it was. And so uh, Fancy uh, by Iggy Azalea was on. I got back from that run and I got a phone call from one of our competitors. And, you know, in the threat and tell space, I, I like to call them frenemies, right? We, we're, mm-hmm. we're friends. We'll go have a beer together and share information with each other. But, you know, in the, in the field of corporate competition, you know, we're right ag- against each other. But one of, one of our friends called us up and said, hey, what do you guys call Sophacy? And we were tracking it. We had all this in-depth reporting on it, but we didn't have a name for it yet. And having just come back from my run, I'm like, Iggy Bear. And he was like, what? I was like, that's a terrible name. You're never going to be able to make name. a graphic around it, that. Is, it is a terrible name, yeah. So then I was like, Fancy Bear, actually. I'm joking. It's Fancy Bear. And he was like, oh, OK, cool, thanks. And then I had to call the analyst that was working on it, this guy, Chris. I was like, Chris, I'm sorry, man. I just named them uh, Fancy Bear. I don't think he liked that too much. You know, sometimes these names come like, very organically like that and uh some, you know we try to have fun with it let the intel sure. analysts come up with those names yeah sometimes we'll do a, a competition across the company and, and let you know the winner pick a name of an adversary so oh, well wow. yeah but i mean I, I think that the intent there is to bring the focus to the threat actors so that our customers our employees the media whoever you're talking to they understand this is a threat And this is this is a group that does things that we know what they do. And if we're going to protect ourselves, if we're going to know about these threats, then we have to put a name and an identity behind that. And that was ultimately, I think, the goal of what we did.
0: Yeah. I love that story because to your point, Fancy Bear has been almost this iconic adversary where most folks that don't companies that don't even know what we do will ask. That's the first thing they'll ask me. Right. Hey, you guys are. you get a company with Fancy Bear, right? And well, no, we're not with Fancy Bear, but we did publish a report and we, we track the tradecraft and the activity of Fancy Bear. And I kind of go through the explanation of how we track adversaries. So, but but it is, I would say it is. It, it gets is.
1: wild too, though, because sometimes we know that the adversaries are trying to read our blog posts and stuff. So there's, <laughs> there's one Doppel Spider, which no. uh, Doppel Spider split off from Indrix Spider. And they actually didn't have a name for themselves. So Indrik Spider for their ransomware was using BitPamer. And so we started seeing this forked version of, they were using Drydex as their kind of primary payload. And then they had Bitpamer, but they had a forked version of Bitpamer. And so we were like, oh, it's Doppel Spider, Doppel Pamer. And we put a blog post out on it. And then the next ransom note that we saw from that group, they call themselves Doppel Pamer.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. So uh, is it safe to say that even the adversaries become fanboys of the naming conventions?
1: I think we've seen some evidence to that effect. I think they know who they are. I'll bet yeah. that someplace in Beijing or, uh, or some other place, maybe someplace in Moscow, that they've managed <laughs> to procure like a crowdstrike
0: <laughs> shirt and they've got it hanging up as a joke <laughs> in the office. As a crotch shirt. Yeah, the last uh, trade show. You know, I think, you know, if even from an e crime perspective I, I know we have so much content uh, for those of you not familiar with our naming conventions and the adversaries or the amount of adversaries that we track we're now in excess of 200 adversaries is that right adam just to That's throw a number out yeah. there right 200 different adversaries across again e crime nation state and hacktivist groups and you know a lot of that information is available on our blog free to read and you know a lot of our clients pay for iterations of you know special and custom reporting or high fidelity reporting that we think is very much very helpful to their business in terms of the way that they operationalize that intelligence. And I can you know, spend hours talking about the e-crime stuff that we're tracking and, and even the process behind operationalizing intelligence. But we should start a podcast. We should start a podcast. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: one thing that I'll, I'll say to you, Christian, is that uh, if you go to adversary. one of the things that I find in my job when I'm talking to boards and executives, I kind of show them the entire threat landscape. There's 200 yeah. plus threat actors. And It's really impactful to say, this is the entire threat landscape. This is everything that should keep you up at night. Hmm. But they're not all the same. They have different capabilities, things that they can do, different intentions, things that they want to do. And if you instrument this map based off of your geolocation and your business vertical and the size of your business even, here's what your threat landscape actually looks like. These are the top 10, 20, 30, whatever it is, threat actors that are coming for you. And so you need to defend against these threat actors before you worry about anything else, right? This should be your primary target. And so if you go to adversary.crowdstrike.com, now you could put in your vertical, your geo, the size of your company, and get a custom threat landscape that you can download and slap into a deck. And it gives you a map with all the threat actors that we track that target those things. And so this is a really effective tool for when people are making presentations and things, you know, board yeah. decks and telling their boss why they need more money for CrowdStrike, and they can go ahead and, and just slap that right in there and say, mm-hmm. these are the threat actors that we need to be worried about. And we need to have the right tools to defend against these things. To threats. defend against
0: them. Exactly. No, I love this. I love this. I know this is our first episode, but I think this is very important, you know, for our customers to hear that, you know, they have resources available to them. Again, knowledge is power, especially when, again, to your point, Adam, in your opening statement there is a human and there are humans behind these attacks, right? We're not talking about just a bunch of botnets out there that are just trying to cause havoc. We're talking about humans that are very persistent. They're very motivated to be successful with their respective campaigns and understanding the tradecraft, understanding how they're going to try to get back into your environment or try to try multiple angles at getting into your environment is extremely important to, again, defending yourself. And our Intel program is driving a lot of success with our clients on ensuring that their defenses are at least protecting from the latest threats that we're seeing. So, you know, we have a lot more content to cover. Yeah, I mean, I'd
1: love to hear questions from people. What what can we help them understand? What what are some things that they always wanted to know, but we're afraid to ask? And, you know, you can hit me up at Adam underscore cyber. You can hit us up at CrowdStrike. You can go to the CrowdStrike subreddit.
0: Yep, yeah, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for Christian Rodriguez. It's Christian without the H, Rodriguez. And uh, I should come up at the top of that list, hopefully depending on your geolocation. So. we got to get you a Twitter handle. I should get a Twitter handle. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to our podcast and head over to crowdstrike.com forward slash adversaries to learn more about the many bad guys we track. Thanks for listening. and We'll see you next time on the Adversary Universe podcast. This is the Adversary Universe podcast.